I'm Taffer. And I'm Bailey. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah. Yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the Indigenous communities of that area. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot this week is uh, in terms of um, land management and conservation, um, thinking about the ways that we treat soil and the ways that we sort of bring a capitalist mindset to soil and like pulling everything out of it possible instead of nurturing it. And Um, taking care of the microbiome of the soil. There's a documentary about it on Netflix called Kiss the Ground, which I haven't gotten to the end of yet, but it made me think about that. And um, yeah, that's how I've been thinking about it. Bailey, we haven't done an episode together in forever. No, it's been a really long time. It was it was very exciting to record an episode with Caddy a couple of weeks ago because we had not done an episode together in literally a year. But wow. it has also been a while since you and I have recorded together. Yeah, and that was a great episode. And now here we are. I've been thinking a lot mm-hmm. about like how it used to just be you and me, and now we've got this like whole nice community going, and it's really exciting and cool. It's extremely exciting. Yeah. Um, I I love how we have grown and added like wonderful people to our crew. Yeah. And yeah. It's the most fun. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I have moved. I'm vaccinated. I'm graduated. Yeah, you are. I'm doing all right. How are you? Everything's coming up, Bailey. I'm also vaccinated with my first dose because we're in Canada. So who gets two doses? That's not a thing. And I have not moved. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm tired. I've been like I had in the last month or so. I had just kind of one medical thing after another, and um. I've been feeling like really uncomfortable and unwelcome in my body and I don't love it but I think I think I'm starting to sort of come out of that and rest a lot and trying to just be really like really mindful about listening to my cues and uh combating the voice of capitalism in my head saying that I have to deplete myself (laughs) um Mm -hmm. trying to just like yeah I'm like gardening and trying to also garden myself Yeah. So this week, you chose this book, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that we had talked about it because it has just been made into a Netflix film. But this is a book that I have um, I have been fond of for several years. I think I first read it two or three years ago, maybe even more than that. Um, I've read it a couple of times, and I, I think I have I think I have advocated for it on the show before, mm-hmm. and then we we decided to do it now because of the movie tie-in. But this is definitely a book that I like a lot, um, and I'm excited that we're talking about it on the show. And we are talking, of course, about Moxie by Jennifer Matthew, a book about a 17-year-old. They're always 17, I feel like, um, <laughs> named Vivian. 
who is inspired by her mother's riot girl past, starts a zine at her school anonymously and enacts some change to um, some of the misogynistic practices in her school. I also watched the Netflix movie, which is uh, produced by Amy Poehler. I really appreciated it. Um, I certainly have some thoughts about how the two interact, the book and the film, because I think they interact in really interesting ways, actually. Um, I don't always mm. I don't always like when movie adaptations change plot points, and this certainly does it. And there are a few points that I don't like, but I think overall it's a successful adaptation um, that's well done and gave me a lot of feelings. Yeah, I have not had a chance to fully watch the movie yet, but I'm excited to, and I'm excited to hear how they interact. And I have had the interesting experience of talking to my partner about it who has watched the movie but not read the book. <laughs> so we had an interesting conversation <laughs> about this work from those two perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I will start. I know, the <laughs> I feel like the last time we reviewed a book together, we had a similar situation. Um, I was just not sure I was going to like this book. And I know this is a book that you really love. And and going mm. into it, it took me, it didn't take me a lot of time to get into it, but I think it took me maybe like, uh, maybe like 50, like 25, 25 pages, I think, to really get into it. Because at first I felt like the misogyny that set up in the book as what she is sort of fighting against was a little bit like, a little bit over the top. And I mean, like, I don't know, I never went to high school in Texas, but I felt like sexist t-shirts was like, I, I didn't find it believable that like, mm. that like a teenager would be able to get away with wearing vulgar like t-shirts. Because like, first of all, I feel like every high school dress code has a really simple, just no text on t-shirts because of things like this. So I had some trouble believing that that would be something that, that a teenager would get away with. Um, however... As it progressed and they got into more of the sort of like rough housing boys will be boys games and stuff, it became more and more believable to me. And I ended up really, really, really loving it. Um, and that was very nice uh, to get to the end and, and be like, oh, no, this didn't like go necessarily the way I expected it to. And when um, was very satisfying. Yeah, I that like. The the way that this this story builds and progresses and ends is yeah satisfying I think is a good word like I this book gives me like a, like a warm like hopeful feeling like the sort of the way that like the community unfolds in it um, is something that I really really like I mean ultimately it's a book about friendship and that felt very very like in watching the movie I feel like that's something they did excellently is they keep the focus really on friendship and the book like the song that the book is, is pivots around Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill the recurring line in it is she is my best friend come and be my best friend like I want to take you home I want to try on your clothes and and it really does like I mean I'm I'm always here for a good queer reading but to me it doesn't feel queer coded it, it is just a song about friendship uh and it's a book about friendship and a movie about friendship there's a romance plot which i do want to get into because it's delicious but um the romance plot is a b plot like a definite b plot next to this story mm -hmm. of vivian developing friendships 
Also, quick shout out. I love the name Vivian. I have loved the name Vivian since I was about seven. And I liked Mm -hmm. seeing Vivian representation. To me, Vivian was like the ultimate, the ultimate, like, cool, hot girl name. Um, (laughs) So I really appreciated seeing that. Yeah, it is very much. It's a book about friendship. It's also a book about, I mean, community is the word that I'm finding. Like, one of the things that I love about I think like the thing that I really, really love about this book is about how it like really explores how like people can build off of each other and like gain courage from each other. And like, like I love how this movement kind of unfolds in stages and becomes sort of a collective thing because of people being sort of inspired and emboldened by what other people are doing. And like, it it revolves around sort of bringing out into the open this idea of not being alone. And like, like it, it basically, it, it revolves around people sort of speaking out loud experiences that everyone has been kind of experiencing on their own. Um, and I really like how the book explores like the power of that. Yeah, absolutely. I I also want to give a quick shout out. Well, um, I think this connects with the theme of, of community, but a shout out to the nostalgia of the book, which I think is another thing the movie adaptation did really, really well. I think, it, I mean, it helps that sort of 90s and, and 2000s styles are back in. It's really easy to play on that nostalgia visually right now. But I found the nostalgia back to the 90s really really effective and that community becomes multi-generational community because it's also Mm -hmm. a story about Vivian and her mom reconnecting her mom who was a riot girl in the early 90s late 80s early 90s and then uh had her daughter lost her husband moved back near her parents to help and you know did a bunch of practical things which did not um, include going to punk shows anymore um, or mm-hmm. creating zines. Now, I'm not personally super aware of the Riot Girls. Like, that wasn't really something that influenced me too much. But I was very aware of, like, zine culture as a teenager. I wasn't involved in it. I was a few years too young. Um, but, like, my older siblings were, like, the ones who would listen to the cool bands. Um, but it was more like the indie folk sort of next step of the later 90s like uh, Indigo Girls and um, Fiona Apple Tori Amos, uh, Ani DeFranco who kind of took the attitude and turned it into folk (laughs) Um, but sorry I'm kind of like going I'm rambling because of this nostalgic mindset the feel of it though like so I grew up in Boston for those of you who are in Boston and Cambridge spending a lot of time in Harvard Square and like back in the day Harvard Square was really where the like punks would hang out now it's not like (laughs) I could talk for a while about how Harvard Square lost its soul but like I would go through Harvard Square when I was like wee going to my viola lessons and see all the cool girls with their bad haircuts and their zines hanging out and just be like, oh my god, they are so fucking cool. I want to be just like them. Even though I didn't understand it at all or know the music connection or anything. And it was really fun to read to read the book and just be like, yeah, I remember being inspired in that way. But also like how cool must it be to be a mom and to see your kid being inspired by the stuff you did. 
Like, that's so exciting. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. And, like, I know there's been, like, a lot of discourse lately with millennials being like, oh, Gen Z are into this and that and the other thing. And, like, personally, I just, I found it really delightful. I found it really fun to be like, like, it it makes you feel seen, kind of. To be like, oh, all this Mm -hmm. dumb shit we do. (laughs) is something you're looking at and being like that's a cool piece of history and so I really kept like I don't know if it's because my my oldest kid she's seven and she's like kids change around seven from being little kids to being like real people you can have a conversation with right and so I'm already feeling pangs of parental nostalgia but like this made me excited to like think about my kid growing up and maybe discovering the shit I was into. I don't know. Like, maybe she's going to come home one day and be like, oh my god, mom, have you ever heard of Ani DeFranco? And I'll have to be like, honey, I have some news for you. She's a turf now. But like, it's, it's, it's fun. It was nice. And it made me cry and laugh. And it was really sweet. And I liked seeing that connection. Yeah, it's it's it is very cool how it sort of like plays with nostalgia and like also like interacts with like history in a thoughtful way. Like I like how there's there's these moments when when Vivian's mother is reflecting with her on like some of the ways in which this movement fell short at the time and then Vivian is thinking about like the ways that she wants this movement that is building around her high school to to be better in those ways and I like that absolutely and actually that is one of the things that the movie did that I thought was spectacular because without making a big deal of it so so Jennifer Matthew has an author's note at the end of the book where she addresses that she talks about um how this book is for all of the girls and here we go Um, I have taken care to choose resources that support an intersectional feminist viewpoint and welcome all ladies, including girls of color, girls with disabilities, queer girls, and transgender girls, Um, and then lists resources for learning more about feminism. And in the movie, in the casting with the secondary characters, now, of course, it does have the, like, Netflix intersectional flaw where um, one of the main characters... You know, there's the main character in the love interest, and one of them has to be white. So, of course, she's white. But she is in the book also. Um, but all of the secondary characters, including the heartthrob, Seth, are not. And we have characters with visible disabilities. We have um, trans secondary characters, um, secondary characters from all different backgrounds, queer girls. And that... I love that they took it and they just said, okay, we're going to cast this diversely, fully diversely. Um, these, maybe these characters don't specifically have this uh, stated, but like we're, we're, we're going to make sure that it's there. And I really, really like that. Just because I always, always have to when she is in things, I need to mention Josie Tota, who plays a secondary character in the movie. Josie, so- Josie Tota, who's currently on Saved by the Bell, the remount, um, and has been doing quite, uh, taking a really active hand in uh, producing and directing Saved by the Bell. She's a really strong activist. And her trans representation in TV and and film, I think, is spectacular. And um, she makes a huge point of playing characters who are trans girls and, like, 
that's not the central point of their story. It comes up sometimes when it comes up, it is addressed, but like she is just a girl having her experience. And she's a secondary character in this. And the only mention of her being trans is that she mentions that there are teachers who still dead name her. And that's the only nod to it. It's not a big deal. But Mm. just having that representation, having that inclusion, uh, (laughs) knowing the kind of work Josie Toda has done, I am absolutely sure that she was the driving force behind that choice um, because I think she can do literally anything. She's outstanding. Um, I loved that. I loved seeing that just casual trans representation tucked in there. Yeah, it was was powerful. It was well done. It was well done. And of course, it can always be pushed further, but it was well done. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's like, you can see how that pushes it a little bit further than the book. And then like, cause the book, the book is, I mean, the book also like there's, there are a couple of queer secondary characters and it like looks at that a little bit. But the book does like one of the sort of like minor threads in the book is sort of the main character becoming more aware of like the race dynamics in right. high school as well and 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 so that's one of the things that I really like like about how this like book sort of explores it which I think partially is like this is there's a lot of ways in which it parallels like me first getting into feminism when I was like 19 mm-hmm. um which is like sort of you you come into it from like one thing that's bothering you and then you start to open up to all of these different things like sort of about that one issue like all these other issues that affect women for example but then you also once you start opening your eyes to seeing that then you also start to see other things like you start to see racism more clearly you start to see all of these other things and I think that the book does a really good job of sort of like see showing that in action certainly yeah um, which is cool and and you also see that going on with Seth's character also having to learn in the book that got toned down a lot in the movie the movie is under two hours so they were not able I mean the book is not long but when you're keeping a movie under two hours you can't fit everything in and one of the choices they decided to make was to cut some of the tension in um, Vivian's developing relationship with Seth uh, which I think is like I think was totally fine I don't I don't think I felt like Seth's little journey of learning to say not all men was like you know it was fine but it wasn't like important (laughs) Um, mm-hmm. and I thought it was fine to to cut it out yeah I feel like the main thing that I find important about that in the book that I really like is more like it's about Vivian learning to actually like not put up with it yeah like it, it's it's about her sort of because because one of one of the main things of her character is that she is not somebody who is seen as somebody who makes waves, not somebody who likes to make waves. And mm-hmm. she has to sort of like learn how to like find her voice and be able to stand up for herself and other people. And, um, and like be more comfortable doing that. Yeah. And so um, that that's, that's the thing that I really like about the, like that plot line with Seth saying shitty things sometimes and her having to push back. Absolutely. So, okay, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this as license to talk for a little bit about Nico Hiraga, who plays Seth. First of all, I love that they cast an Asian guy as the heartthrob. I 
love him <laughs> like I, I he is he just like radiates warmth which I think is exactly right for this character he is the purest himbo and that is I I love so much I know I've talked about this before but I love so much that the masculine ideal that's like emerging now is the pure himbo who is just like kind and simple and like it's just so nice to see that departure from like the oh the 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 jessies of gilmore girls that like our generation got like Mm -hmm. like instead of having a boy who's always grouchy at you for not reading faulkner um you can just have a nice skateboarder who just wants to have fun (laughs) I think that's really good. I love it. Um, I'm very curious about Seth as a himbo, though, because he's not a himbo in the book. No, he's not. So they they did change his character, and I love it. I actually love the way they changed Seth's character for the movie. It's very rare that I love the way they change a character for a movie. Um, but instead of him being the mysterious new boy... He is somebody she's known forever who had a glow up over the summer. And like, it's really clear that he's had a crush on her forever and she just kind of hasn't noticed him. Um, He's a skateboarder, which is fun because Nico Haraga is also a skateboarder. And for me, that really brings the nostalgia also, right? Like skater boys are the boys of the 90s. Um, So that's kind of fun. And and I really liked this touch because the story is so much about Vivian learning to be aware of the people around her. I felt that having him be someone who's been there forever, who she just kind of hasn't noticed before, worked very well with that. It also let Lucy be the new kid. And I did feel in the book that there were too many new kids, (laughs) like one too many going, hmm, your school, something's off about your school. Like... I liked it just being just being Lucy and Seth just being someone who'd been there who Vivian hadn't really noticed before. Also because that's realistic, I think, like when you're at a big high school to just suddenly be like, oh, this person who like I've known since first grade, like, oh, maybe we actually have a lot in common. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's fair. And like Seth being the new kid doesn't really add much to the story. Exactly. Whereas like it's important to Lucy's character. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought it worked very well. Um, because he was also like friends with uh, Mitchell and at one point she's like but you're friends with Mitchell and he's like I mean we've known each other since second grade but that doesn't mean that I like like everything he does we've just known each other forever which is cool he's also just like he's he's really cute like he's dreamy but it's in a way that we don't often see and I, I like not just that he's Asian but that he's I don't know he's just like a different like he, it, it calls me back. I'm trying to think, like, how to say this. Like, he has a sweet little round face, you know? Like, like he looks like a teenager. It's nice. Um, he doesn't have some, like, chiseled, broody cheekbones or anything. Um, very attractive. It reminds me of... So I read a, an interview with him just before this because I just... I loved him so much. Like, instant fan. I really liked him. Uh, and I found an interview with him talking about... Uh, on Teen Vogue talking about his casting and him saying that he almost didn't audition for it because he read it and he was like, this role was written for a white guy. I'm not going to get cast for it. Um, and his manager saying, like, just just trust me on this, like, just audition. And I actually tweeted that interview if anybody wants to see it. <laughs> I loved it because in the interview, 
Um, he said the the movie reminded him of Ten Things I Hate About You, which is one of my fa- all time favorite movies. Love it, and. I realized that the thing that he has that I like so much reminds me of the Heath Ledger thing. The just kind of like goofball, sweet. Like, I would say Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You is a himbo. I think he counts. Mm. So, like, I, like, he's that type and I liked that so much. I really, really liked it. Um, And I like him and I'm really excited to see what else he does. uh, Because he seems not only like an excellent actor, but like a really fun little person. I'm excited about this generation of actors. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's cool stuff happening. Yeah, I'm very, very excited about it. So there's one thing that I want to talk with you about that I'm curious about that I understand has been changed in the movie that I really, really like about the book. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about your opinion is one of the things that I really love that I think is really like important about the way it develops in the book is that um, sort of the Moxie name gets picked up by different people at different points to do different things like Viv has this one set of things that she does she publishes this zine but then at various points you know Lucy adopts the name to do something Mm -hmm. um and then this other group of girls um adopt the name to do another thing and then another character at the very end adopts the name to do something else and I think like that's one of the things that I think is really really cool about how it develops is like both we see sort of how like this being started by Viv gives other people kind of like the spark that they need to also do something Mm -hmm. but also that it explores this idea that like one person can't do do it all or can't like even see all the things that need to be done and so all these different parts can can come together and I really, really like that. And I understand that the movie does it a little bit differently. And so I'm really curious what your take on that. It hasn't really been changed in the movie. Like, all the things okay. all the things still happen. The only thing that has been changed is um, at the end, instead of Emma creating the flyers. I'm putting spoilers. That the book has been out here since 2017. The movie has been out. Like, I'm just assuming people know how this ends. Instead of Emma creating flyers and initiating the walkout um vivian gets an anonymous note about it and initiates the walkout and i was very disappointed in that change i don't think that was a good change i i think it's much stronger um having vivian not know who did it having emma do it initiate it I thought it was a disservice to Emma's character, who otherwise I think was done very, very well. Yeah, Josephine Langford did an excellent job as Emma, um, building the frustration in her character gradually. And I do think that was a disservice. Um, but they do still have the different people doing the different aspects of it. Yeah, I think overall, I <laughs> I think they could have made this movie over two hours and just drawn out the ending even 10 more minutes even just having a little bit more of the after effects of the walkout because they basically end on the walkout as the high point okay and kind of wrap everything up there um i have some issues with the way they treated the principal they changed the character of the principal okay tell me and so they and that changes the whole administrative thing and uh, yeah, I'll tell you. I understand some of the choices they made. I think some of the choices they made are strong, but overall, um, I'm a little mad on it. So 
instead of the uh, principal being Mitchell's father, although I do think it's really funny that Mitchell was played by Patrick Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> when we're talking about a character whose whose legacy is nepotism, right? That is funny. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he was very well cast. I think he did a great job in the role. But the whole movie takes the focus off Mitchell slightly um, to be mm. looking more at systemic sexism. And I think it gets... Mm, okay, we're getting into framing a little bit. So I'll get there. But I'm going to talk about the principal first. Um, instead of having the principal be Mitchell's father and Mitchell gets away with everything because of nepotism, uh, the principal is a woman, Principal Shelley. She's not related to Mitchell. Um, I think it's an interesting choice to make her a woman. And and her biggest flaw is that she just, like, she, she doesn't want to do shit. So, mm. like, at one point, Lucy comes to her to talk to her about harassment. And she says, ooh, if you say harassment, I have to do a whole lot of paperwork. So let's say he's bothering you. If he's bothering you, we can have a conversation. And that, I think, is is well done. It's, uh, it's good. Mm. But I think the part where the principal... <laughs> actually tries to expel the whole the half of the student body for the walkout and the school board is just like yeah no (laughs) um i think that's such a powerful part of the book Mm -hmm. like that's a very good storyline where the principal is just literally so power crazy that he thinks that he can expel half the student body to save his son's reputation and i was disappointed that that is not something that happened in any way. I I sort of understand toning it down a little bit, but it was disappointing to me. And overall, so the focus is redirected from the sexual harassment and assault uh, that it really is the main theme in, in the book um, to focus more on the women's soccer team, the girls' soccer team being downplayed and like, like um, athletic... Uh, focus and they have it that the football team the football team doesn't win games and the girls soccer team does win games and the focus and the funding is still all going to the football team which I think is very cool yeah and that's cool like that's definitely present in the book it's just not the main it's like one of the oh and also this is fucked up yes and they put considerably more focus on it in the movie which again I don't think is a bad choice um I do think that taking the focus off the sexual harassment like they don't talk about the um the like push and grab game (laughs) that's horrifying Mm -hmm. because of that because they've downplayed the sexual harassment throughout the movie emma's story kind of comes out of nowhere oh okay that makes sense yeah it doesn't really build to it and I think that's unfortunate. And again, I think this is something that if they'd been willing to pad it out by like 10, 15 minutes, they could have treated. Like, I think this is an mm-hmm. editing issue. <laughs> I think there are probably some scenes on the cutting floor that shouldn't be there. Yeah, because it is like that That scene, because it's not necessarily like we're not built up throughout the novel to know that like this is going to happen to Emma, mm-hmm. but it is like that thread runs through. And I, I guess, um, the thing with Claudia does not happen in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's exactly. also an important Which, point in the book. So instead of that, they have Claudia 
instead of Lucy, take the fall for Moxie and get suspended. And it's just a weird choice. It wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The one administrative change they made that I do love, though, is the update they give to Mr. Davies, the English teacher. Mr. Davies is played in this by Ike Barinholtz, who I love. I, I love Ike Barinholtz and everything. I just, I think he's a, an excellent actor and I really like the characters he plays. Um, and so seeing Ike Barinholtz as this overworked teacher. So instead of having him be an uninterested teacher who's close to retirement and just doesn't care enough, they have him in, I think, a much uh, an updated and very believable role as a teacher who is just totally disenchanted and would love to be able to help his students and make changes and give statements, but is also really worried about losing his job. Mm. And that's so relatable, right? (laughs) So through the whole movie, he's trying very hard not to say anything that can go one way or another. He's trying very hard to let people say their say and then you know, move on to the text. And he's trying not to say anything that will get him fired. And at the very end of the movie, I'm not going to spoil this, but at the very end of the movie, uh, he makes a gesture that makes it clear where his sympathies lie. And it's really, really powerful. It's really moving. It made me tear up. Um, I liked that a lot. I I really liked the Mr. Davies update. And I really like Ike Barinholtz. And I also liked that uh, her mom's boyfriend is less of a schmuck. Because let me tell you, Mm. reading this book, reading this book, oh my God. I was like, girl, Lisa, what are you doing? Like, why are you dating this guy? Why are you dating a Republican? Why are you dating a douchebag who hands you Faulkner and says he'll change your mind? If somebody pulled that shit, if somebody gave me Faulkner and said, I'm giving you this book to change your mind on Faulkner, he would eat the book. I just, like, what, like... (sighs) That is one of the things that I find really, like, frustrating about the book, is how they sort of, like, there is this tension with, like, her clearly, like, not approving of the mother's boyfriend because he's, like, shitty and a Republican. And that just kind of getting dropped, like, the, the kind of the last word on it is her mom being like, well, adults can disagree about politics sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, no. Yeah. And like, it, it just was better. <laughs> it was it was better in the movie. In the movie, it's more she's just like, I don't know, he seems boring. <laughs> um, but he's not like uh, shitty, which I think in the, in the book he's shitty. One thing yeah. that I have to be pissed about, though, because like what the fuck is in the grocery store flirting scene in the movie they talk about chives and and Vivian refers to him as the chives guy for most of the movie and the mom gives him chives when he comes over for dinner but they're leaks they're leaks they're leaks through the whole thing they're always leaks They're holding bouquets of leeks and they're calling them chives. And leeks and chives don't look the same. And they 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 don't look the same. How hard is it to just out on that? No. How hard is it to just say they're leeks? Did it? I don't know. I very deliberately didn't read any uh, any press around it because I wanted to come to it fresh. 
Okay, now I have to like no because I thought I watched the first like a little bit of the movie, so I saw that scene. I thought that like because he calls them chives, and then I thought that one of them is like those aren't actually chives; those are leeks. Or does that not happen? Did I just imagine that in my brain because I assumed that would be the punchline? Oh, um, I hope so <laughs> because they're they're definitely they're definitely leeks. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Apparently, that is the joke. I just looked it okay. up. Okay. I just looked it up. Apparently it is the joke. Okay. 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 All better. Okay. Personally, <laughs> personally, leeks versus chives. I choose leeks. Where do you stand? I'm not a huge fan of either. <laughs> I'm not a big like onion family fan. Like I will I will give them their proper place when necessary, but and unfortunately, yeah, I'm not, I would probably go chives over leeks, okay. but I'm not, I'm not big into either. I'm sorry. I can't relate, but I respect your position. Thank you. Yeah, I, I know that you are big into the onion family of, um, of plants. I, I, so. I do. I like an allium. I do like an allium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like garlic, which is also an allium. Okay, there we go. I'm yeah. big into garlic. Yeah. I mean, I love garlic, but we recently discovered that Tom is allergic to garlic, so we've been learning how to cook without garlic this year, uh, which That's is so challenging. It was challenging to get used to. Um, so I'm I using know, a lot of onions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You used to be someone who prided yourself on using an entire head of garlic every time you made dinner. I mean, I'm Italian. (laughs) Like, what you going to do, just not use garlic? But I'm also not going to make my baby have an itchy throat every time we eat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's important. Anyway, okay, so I'm glad that that leeks versus chives thing was just just me being, um, um, was me oversighting missing that it was a joke yes so it was a joke you know what that is the story of my life is me missing things that are jokes and getting worked up about them so it works in conclusion i love ike baronholtz i love josie toda i enjoyed this book quite a lot and i'm looking forward to having teenagers fair (laughs) yeah i i enjoyed this book quite a lot i am interested to watch the movie now and uh and see all the things that are different and potentially be annoyed about some of them, but also be open to the ways in which they might have expanded upon the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, it's a really like, beautiful picture, this book of like community and solidarity building. And I like it a lot. I did just, um, I did just remember one other thing that was cut from the movie that I, um, I don't know how I feel about it entirely, uh, which is that her grandparents are not in the movie. Um, which is it's it's interesting because they're so important in the book they're very like like her grandparents are kind of the ones that make Vivian feel like she has to not cause trouble and they're sort of a foil that she pushes against and they're not there in the movie and at first I was like this is weird but then I didn't miss them so so I'm sort of undecided on how I feel about that yeah, is there somebody else that plays that role? Because like, they they are kind of there to to make her sort of realize that she doesn't necessarily want to always be this like dutiful Vivian is the phrase that comes up yeah. again so the, and again in the book. The way they, does somebody else do that in the movie? The way they change it is they move the stupid bracket rating up to the beginning of the movie, and Vivian mm. gets voted most obedient. 
Oh. And she gets really pissed about it. It's not a, it wasn't as strong a choice. Yeah, I don't think. However, it was effective. So like. Okay. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still, you know, this is where I'm challenging my instinct to say, well, it's different from the book, so it's bad, which is a journey I've been on. I think our listeners have been with me on this journey. I have been learning to appreciate film adaptations um, as their own genre and understanding that they can't necessarily always just be recreations of the book. I am also on that journey, and sometimes I am further along than other times. I think the more the more committed I am to the book, the harder it is for me. Yeah, I think that I feel that way about like the little bit of this movie that I've watched yeah. and when I watch the whole thing because I do I really like this book and yeah. I also think that it is like quite well paced and well plotted and well developed. Yeah. Like I think the way things unfold is done really well, so I will be a little bit persnickety about those things being changed. And I would say that the pacing and the plot um there are holes that don't make sense in the movie like instead Mm. of having her father die they sort of nod to him being remarried and sort of not super active in her life and at one point she says like why didn't dad want to spend christmas with me but they don't go into it at all oh they don't explain it at all that's very weird and again i think that's an editing issue like like i said i think they probably got told that this movie couldn't be more than two hours and ended up having to cut a bunch of shit but i think that's really unfortunate yeah, yeah, because that seems like a very strange and unnecessary choice. Exactly. I have one more quibble, just as long as I'm quibbling. Okay. And this one, uh, I'm going to say, is it's entirely possible that this is another situation where I'm misinformed. And if I am, and you listeners know this, you can feel free to message me and say, Hey, Tefer, you're not as smart as you think you are. However, towards at the very beginning of the book, and I think this is what set me up to be grouchy with the book, they talk about Lisa, Vivian's mother. Um, Her school tried to put a ban on hair dye, and she immediately dyed her hair. And what they say is that she went out and bought Manic Panic Siren's song. I tried to research this to confirm this, but I am pretty certain that Siren's song came out in 2015. It is... Uh, a, a teal, a light teal that glows under UV light. It is certainly not one of the original Manic Panic colors. I was not aware of it at all um, until quite recently. And I have followed Manic Panic for a long time. And that's just a little sloppy. Like if they'd said Rockabilly Blue, I would have just been like, yeah, sure. Like if she'd said Rockabilly Blue, if she'd said Vampire Red, if she'd said uh, Purple Haze, um, Ultraviolet, bad boy blue pillar box red like there are literally so many manic panic colors that i would just be like yeah cool but like siren song is a new one it's a recent one it's not one that's been around for a while and that took me right out of it and i know not everybody is that but it really felt like like all she did was just like google manic panic colors and go that one's pretty and it it took me out of the fantasy this is a very specific to me issue. Yeah, me who knows very little about hair dye was just like, okay, that's a that's a hair dye brand that I know exists, and that sounds like the name of a color that sounds badass. Cool. But that that's fair, and that may well just have been a failing to do proper research. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it could also be uh, I love the way this sounds. Sirens are cool. That calls back to girl punk bands. Nobody's going to notice this and not banking on my crotchety ass coming for her. That's, I think that's entirely possible. <laughs> like sometimes people make these choices, right? And they don't necessarily expect me to go, well, actually... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is why I saved this for the end of the episode. Because <laughs> it's not important. But I cared. But it's important to you. It's it's like I have a friend who gets very, very upset watching any kind of movies in which clergy appear because so often they're in the wrong vestments for the place, time period, and denomination. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> That's how I feel about every single period drama. Don't ask me how I feel about the costuming in Bridgerton. It's pretty. That's how I feel about it. It's pretty. But you know what they did not wear in the Regency era? Corsets that reduced the waist. That wasn't a thing. Tight lacing corsets was not a thing. It was distinctly not a thing. They were doing a new thing. And it involved corsets that had, or not corsets, they were stays. They were little half stays because the fashionable thing was to have your nipples showing through your dress. And you know what? You can't do that in really elaborate undergarments. And they basically invented the modern bra in the Regency era. It was wrong, wrong, wrong. And I don't understand why the bad mean lady was wearing like, 50s cocktail dresses through the whole damn show okay 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 this reminded me of one more thing from the movie the scene that like was painful for me painful in a like piercing devastating way was when they go to the thrift store together and they're just trying shit on and goofing off that is all I want to do I want to do that so bad. This whole week, I have been thinking about going to the fabric store and going to the thrift store and just picking up tchotchkes and getting vintage fabric. And I'm, oh my God, (laughs) I want to do it. I want to do it. I miss it. That's fair. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. We got one dose of our vaccinations. Maybe we'll get a second dose before 2022. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, we're supposed to, so we'll see. All right. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at yapodcast, and individually, I'm at tefferbear. And I'm at thebalesosaurus. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our wonderful patron, patrons, Catherine, Kat, Lizzie, Chantal, Maddie, Megan, Emily, and Emmett. We have merch! Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who is really into punk. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tefra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about the great shows on our network, all the great shows on our network, even, at upfordnetwork.com. Bye! Bye! 
I'm October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is... I'm Fish with Legs. I'm a fish I'm with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. <laughs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.